Welcome to another episode of the Cambridge Endurance Sports Podcast. Well, this one was an easy one to make because it's me chatting to my old mate Vince Freeman. He was a top cyclist and he's a top bloke and together we reminisce about what for us at least really were the good old days. Remember, if you like this podcast, please subscribe, please share it so we can get lots more listeners. Having said that, we now have listeners in about 15 different countries, which is quite amazing for something called the Cambridge Endurance Sports Podcast, which you'd have thought was pretty niche. Anyway, enough of me rambling on. Listen to Vince Freeman, my good old mate, chatting about cycling, how it should be, how it used to be. Keep on running, keep on riding, or just sit back and relax and enjoy this episode. So here we are at the Divisional Road Race Championships. Just one lap to go of this 90-mile course. And the break of seven has been away for nearly half the race now. They're coming to the final climb, which will be the finish next time round. And it's Coach BB leading them up. He's doing a big turn here as they make their way up this gradual climb for the last time. Oh, but there's an attack. An attack off the back. It's Freeman. He's shot to the other side of the road and he's blown the group apart. There's desperation here as they're trying to cling to his wheel. But Coach BB, he just looks across, disgust on his face. It's as if he's saying, Freeman, you're supposed to be my friend. Why did you do that? His head goes down. He's resigning himself to a lonely last 10 miles. Here he comes then, hands aloft. Freeman is the winner. He's the divisional road race champion. No one could stay with him on the day. And now here's the bedraggled figure of Coach BB. He's exhausted. Happy to have managed to stay clear of the chasing bunch with an exhausting 10 mile time trial there on the last lap. But he's not gonna be happy. And believe you me, the drinks are on Mr. Freeman tonight. So here I am with me old mate Vince Freeman. Looking good, mate. Looking good for the 50 whatever years that you got behind you. How Thank you feeling? Good stuff. Well, I feel pretty good, yes. Nice one, nice one. Well, we'll go into maybe a bit about your health as well in, in due course, but um, I'm going to start this episode and the listeners will have actually heard a little introduction about this already, but I want to take us back 20 years. You just told me it was the year 2000 that you won the divisionals and the way yeah, you... The 4th of June, 2000. There we go, West Suffolk Wheelers event. And... Um, there we were with a lap to go. It was about a 90-mile race, wasn't it? And I'm leading the breakaway up up the climb, and all of a sudden, Vince Freeman shoots off to the side and does the race-winning attack, leaving me absolutely knackered, having to time-trial the last lap all on my own. What was all that about? Well, it wasn't really my fault, Ben. You've got to remember that there was, I think there was about seven or eight of us in the breakaway, and we'd been working really well together, for the last 50 or 60 miles, and obviously in a breakaway, you're all mates, best of mates, but a few of the other riders, whom I knew really well, they said to me, well, who's that guy? Because we all knew each other, we all raced against each other. And they said, who's that guy? We don't know him. And every time he was on the front, on the flat, he was he was giving us a hard time, and they kind of said to me, 
we've got to get rid of him before the end. We've got to get rid of him. So we hatched the plan. We said, well, next time he's on the front on any hill, let's go for it. Let's get rid of him. And that, so that wasn't my fault. Oh, yeah. I was just following orders then. I'll tell, I you, following... I'll tell you what, I did feel good that day because I remember when we were rolling through about halfway through the the um the break and I, was, I came past and said what are we giving up or something because I just thought everyone was soft peddling it, it felt that it felt that good that day but uh, yeah no you still hung on for seventh didn't you I think yeah it's about seventh yeah yeah we ha- I just just managed to stay ahead of that group with uh, Chris Brookin and people in it all sprinting it out for the minor placings yeah <laughs> so yeah so that was a, a toward that was already towards the end of your cycling career really wasn't it I mean what what would you say was your heyday that year or a bit earlier probably my if I look back and my best year was was definitely 1994 so six years earlier mm-hmm. when when I was with the Cambridge Cycling Club my best years my, my most successful years and probably the were, were when I was uh, with the Cambridge Cycling Club I did later on join a sponsored club who used to kind of give us a bike and pay for us to do different races but uh, I look back at my results and there was definitely the mid-90s 93, 94, 95 when I suppose I was a bit younger that was probably when I was in my peak I could still put the odd good result in later on but I was nowhere near as consistent nowhere near as consistent Yeah. age didn't brought up with me yeah mind you I, I did well out of you joining that sponsored team because you gave me loads of the kit didn't you <laughs> I've still got some of it, actually. <laughs> I've been used to it. The only bad thing about it is that it was sponsored by Terry Wright Cycles, and that's that's sort of Peterborough, really, market deep in, isn't it? So it associates me with the north of the county, which, uh, as a Cambridge United fan, I'm not too keen on, you know? Oh, not a good idea, yeah. <laughs> But I did. Uh, my my ex wife was from Stilton, and it was called Stilton Racing Team, wasn't it? At one point, it was, yeah, I think they called it. It was sponsored by Terry White Cycles, and I think they used to sometimes. I think it was Stilton Racing Team, yeah, because the the owner of the team was based in Stilton. That's right. That's where he did. Yeah. And we used to often have our kind of presentations, and there used to be a really nice restaurant in the village uh, you probably went there as yeah well. right it's an, an old sort of pub type restaurant yeah. yeah i'm trying to remember what it was called i can't remember that this might be something bore but i can't remember now yeah yeah no no good times good times and of course we i mean people don't know but we used to ride together most wednesdays on the famous wednesday ride which has already been mentioned on this podcast by david mclean although i don't think we really overlapped with him and uh we also used to do some jaunts at the weekend to Eastway and Hillingdon. They were they were good times. I mean, it suited you more than me because, as, as you've sort of hinted already, I had no talent when it came to hills or sprints of any sort. So it suited you a bit more. But do you remember those fondly, the Hillingdon and Eastway days? Yeah, well, they didn't. I mean, they didn't suit me that well. I was much better on the longer races, but they were a lot of fun. I mean, they were just brilliant. And also, I think part of the fun was also the drive down there. Yeah, kind of just having a laugh, talking about the races, talking about what we were hoping to do, and then the dejection on the way home. And uh, but no, they were a lot of fun. I mean, a lot of fun. It was a great way to to spend. They were, I think the the Hillingdons were Saturday mornings, weren't they? We'd done that quite a few 
and a lot of them were during the winter, I think. That's what, well, you did the winter series. I remember you used to go nearly every week. I only went a few times, yeah. but you did the whole winter series. I think you finished quite highly then. It shows how committed you were because to drive there an hour and a half and an hour and a half back for what was really only an hour's race, wasn't it? But I was totally obsessed, obsessed with cycling, yeah. yeah. I would do anything for it. So, yeah, I, I used to race, race a lot. Often during the season, I'd be racing three times a week, often Saturday, Sundays, and once during the week, maybe. Yeah. yeah very, yeah, probably too key. Yeah. yeah. Well, but wait, great wait. fun. I mean, they were fantastic memories. I mean, I look back now and I love, the, you know, the 90s and that's when I spent most of my time cycling. I absolutely loved it. Really, really enjoyed my time cycling. And then the Wednesday, the Wednesday rides were, well, for the highlight of the week, we had so much fun. We do really long Right, but we went everywhere, didn't we? Well, this is the thing I was thinking about that. I mean, we never had... I mean, I didn't even have a speedo on my bike. I don't know if you did at the time, but I certainly never had Strava or anything like that. So I have no idea how far we went, but we did always have a cafe stop. I mean, it must have been a long ride because I used to devour four cheese rolls at that blue... Uh, what was it called? Silver Ball Cafe and go back. I think you yeah. used to you used to favour the potatoes and then something with custard after, didn't you? Oh, yeah, and crumble. Yeah, no, we used to eat well, yeah. We used to do 80, 90 miles sometimes on a Wednesday. We used to do some really long rides. Because yeah. uh, I used to be, you know, great. I used to leave quite early as well, didn't we? I don't know if I around think, 8 or me. Yeah, about 8. We used to meet at Lammas Land, didn't we? And uh, we'd get back about half 1, wouldn't we, most days? It still happened. Does it still happen the Wednesday ride? Yeah, yeah. So David McLean was talking about it. I think Tim Williams and Co. still still go along, and I don't know how many they get, but uh, yeah. So yeah, I can remember some days there. I think your mood would often dictate the tone of the the ride, really, because there were some days when you wanted to really go for it, and then we'd all suffer, and we'd have David and um, Julian Newton clinging on as well, and then other days you were just wanting to take it easy, and uh, and we'd be coasting around and having a laugh most of the day. I remember you getting angry with a driver once and squirting water through his window at him. <laughs> and, and, yeah, and cursing various people at, at regular intervals. Yeah, have you got any particular memories from those Wednesday rides? I've just got, I've just got memories for just going to some amazing places, really. Just like so many lovely little villages and we used to stop. We used to stop near Barry sometimes as well, I think, didn't we? There used to be a garden centre. We used to stop near Barry's... Yeah. And then Saffron Walden, we used to stop at times. Now we used to go to some lovely places. I remember always coming home and always being pretty shattered after it. But, yeah. Uh, great fun. No, I really enjoyed those. Yeah, I think there was a cafe up near, near the prison up there, wasn't there, that we used to go to? Oh, yeah, well, you're right. Yes, yes. So, but we used to go all year, though, didn't we? I think in the winter we oh, yeah. would. Oh, as well, all year round. That's right, yeah. I mean, I'm... Stradishall, that's it. Yeah, and I remember coming back in the summer from those rides and there'd be the tour on and I'd just make half a kilo of pasta and the afternoon would be spent watching the tour just devouring pasta after those rides. Dr. Vita, the good life, that was the way to, to live, wasn't it? Go and cycle in the morning and then watch the Tour de France all afternoon. That's it. I mean, uh, yeah, I can't afford to do that now, unfortunately. I can't. Anyway, this, so by the time I met you, which I think was about probably about 95 then that was um you were well into your cycling as you say at the peak of your cycling and um let's go back then let's tell us tell the listeners i mean you're a cambridge boy aren't you You've, yeah Cambridge. Yeah. yeah so how did you get into cycling 
So you started in Paris then, and then and then went on a trip to to Colombia, and, and did you start racing out there as well? Yeah, well, I, I, I don't know. If, I, I, as I say, I, I, I started in Paris, came back to the UK for a while. I think I was back here for six months or so, and I trained here, done a few races here, with not a lot of success. I was just kind of starting out, and then started training properly and racing in Bogota. Mm. And I used to train with the cycling league and they hold races uh, every weekend, selection races, and they would like pick a team for some of the national level races. The first year I never made a team. I was just training, but it was, it was a lot of fun. And you know, we would go training every day with groups of a hundred cyclists. Wow. It was absolutely amazing. Uh, but you know, I learned a lot and I really enjoyed it. I met some really good friends there, had just a, you know, a great, a great time. And in Colombia was like, you know, like some of our Wednesday rides, they didn't take it too seriously. They had a lot of fun as well, which was really, really nice. That, Bogota, that's a, um altitude, isn't it? How did you cope with that coming from Cambridge? Well, 
the first ride, I, I, there used to be a, a mountain overlooking Bogota called Patios. It's quite a famous mountain. I mean, on a weekend, they'll have like 10,000 cyclists climbing there, seven kilometers long. And the first time I climbed, I, I think I'd arrived the day before, and I went out there and climbed it in the afternoon. And uh, I didn't think I was going to get to the top. <laughs> I got a, I got about half there, and I always remember it because there was a guy who I could hear this rattling, rattling behind me. I thought, what's that? And then it was a with jeans on and a coat on on an old bike. Yeah. And he just returned from work, and he passed me, and I just couldn't keep up with him. <laughs> he was about sixty, and I just, I tell, oh, this is ridiculous, but. But within 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 a week, I, I kind of climbed the same mountain, and mm. I remember climbing it on a weekend a weekend day. It was mostly leisure cyclists, but I must have passed like five hundred cyclists. It's just amazing how quickly you can actually yeah. adapt. Yeah. Uh, but it was yeah, well, it was, but it was quite a place in at that period of time, just because of the political kind of upheaval really in that period. Mm. So when did you start getting some actual success? Because I believe there's a bit of a story about how you met your wife involved with cycling as well, isn't there? Well, yeah, my first ever win was, uh, well, I, it was the year after I, I, I returned to Colombia and it was only a couple of days after arriving there. So this was this would have been 89. And we, we had an opportunity. My friend said, oh, yeah, there's a race going on in a place called Ibagué, which is about four hours from Bogota. And uh, it was kind of a low-level race. It, it was it was a, a works team I kind of guessed it for. Mm. And uh, so we, you know, we went along, and I'd never been to this city before, and I had a really good race. Uh, that on the It was two stages, and on the second day, poured down the rain, and I got in a little breakaway and ended up, winning the stage and winning the race that was my first like kind of ever win mm. and uh one of this the team one of the team members mentioned that he had lots of family members uh who lived in the city he had lots of cousins there and one of whom owned a restaurant overlooking the city which seemed like a nice place to have lunch and uh so you know, he made a few calls and off we went to this restaurant and uh, well there's two stories to this really there's there's my wife's story which is that she saw this team bus turn up and and uh, these guys got out of the bus and one of them kind of came upstairs asked for a number and we ended up going out but then there's the true story which is my wife was helping out her sister that particular day and she saw a little team bus arrive and kind of all these very kind of Latin guys get out, kind of very dark looking. And then there was this blue-eyed blonde boy <laughs> came out and she and she put, and she kind of liked the look of him and she cast a spell from afar <laughs> and to, to actually enter the restaurant. It was right on the edge of the city. You had to climb up in a car about a mile outside. Then you had to climb a hundred steps. By the time I got to the top of that hundred step the witchcraft had worked and I was already in love with her. So the first thing I did, I started talking to her and I asked her out. So, there yeah, a brujera, a witchcraft. <laughs> but we're still married. Uh, yeah. All these years later, 
new glater. And uh, the good thing about it, because we met kind of through cycling, she could never really complain when I went out cycling. Because <laughs> if it wasn't cycling, we'd have never have met. Exactly. No, and, that's uh, brilliant. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, obviously, yeah, we, I'm friends with you as a family. We uh, had children at similar times and we used to spend uh, Mondays together. We had a dad's day, didn't we, with our kids 20 years ago? Years, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they, were, they were great fun, yeah. <laughs> Although a little bit easier for me, I only had one. You had two. <laughs> I was yeah. fat. <laughs> well, we, I think we've both got three now, haven't we? Yes, we have. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so it's even Stevens now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they were good times indeed. So so that you had a love of cycling, you had a love of Columbia, you had a love of a woman. It's all it's all made for a, a big cycling romantic novel, I think, uh, it, it, when, you, when you retire, Vince, you know. Well, it, was quite, it, it was quite a day to win my first race and to meet my wife on the, on the same day. And also such a beautiful place. I mean, hopefully... One day you'll be able to go to Colombia. You would love mm. it, Ben. It's an amazing place. And they love their cycling. They're mm. absolutely obsessed with cycling. Yeah. So as a cyclist, it's such a, I can't think of a better place to go. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, no, fantastic. Shame it's not a bit nearer. But yeah, so so how many times did you, how many trips to Colombia did you make with your bike then in terms of for, for actually racing out there? I think what I used to do, thankfully enough, I had a, I had a, a quite a flexible job. I used to work for a financial company and we used to have yearly targets. And as long as I met my yearly target, they didn't mind me going to Colombia for three months. So in the early 90s, especially, I, I used to pop off to Colombia normally around Christmas, New Year time and stay for three months, which was a fantastic time to go. I probably went six or seven times in the wow. 90s. Yeah. I would have thought during that period, which is, well, I mean, I had great fun. And I mostly training, but I used to do, towards the end, around the, like 97, 98, I used to do quite a lot of racing as well. Actually, I spent one uh, winter doing, what, about six weeks, a six-week block of like racing out there in 97, wow. which was great fun, yeah. Yeah. And so you'd come, presumably you'd come back to Cambridge then with pretty good legs, and uh, be able to smash you it up. Though, you think so, but not always. It took a took a while to kick kick in. I think I think in two. I think I've been to Colombia in in two thousand, the the year you were talking about the the divisionals. Uh, it did it did kick in, but it didn't kick in kind of immediately. It often kick in after a while. Because I think that training and racing in Colombia, you tended to lose quite a bit of speed. Right. That's interesting. And obviously races in the UK, I mean, especially if you're doing like normal amateur races, it's all about speed. I mean, you've got to get in the breakaway. If you don't get in the breakaway, you're not going to do anything and you need to just, you know, attack and attack until you get in the move. Whereas obviously in Colombia, the racing was all centred around, you know, the mountains, longer kind of races, I suppose, quite mm. different racing. Mm. But back in England, you sort of worked your way up through the cats, didn't you? And you, you did actually get an elite license, didn't you? I remember you did a, did some Premier Calendar, didn't you? Yeah, it took me. I mean, I wasn't a natural. I mean, I started off like everyone. I, I think in those days there were when I started off there were only three categories, mm. and now there's like a fourth and an elite. But 
but I, it took me a while. I think I eventually got to a first cat in 93 and then was first cat or elite throughout like the 90s, I suppose, yeah. Mm. But yeah, it took a while. I mean, I, I don't think it happened naturally. It took quite a few years to in, improve, you know. Uh, uh, but when I done a few of the premier calendars, it was riding for the sponsored team. But I don't think, you know, I used to finish them, but I mean, I kind of struggled to get to make a mark, really. I mean, the level was, I was, I mean, I was a good local rider, but on a national level, it's completely different. It's just another couple of rings up the ladder, really. Mm. But also, maybe like felt maybe the pressure a little bit more. When I raced, rode for the Cambridge Cycling Club, it was all just a bit of fun. I really enjoyed it. You're under no pressure, but when you ride for a sponsored team, you kind of expected to get results and mm. probably didn't suit me. Mm. Yeah, you like to do things your own way a bit, don't you? Yeah, and, yeah. and, and loads of racing, of course. Yeah. yeah. No, it didn't really, no, it didn't really suit me, but, you know, uh, I mean, I, I might have carried on a, a little a little bit longer, but I felt as though, like, towards the end, as though I wasn't, like, getting any better, so you got to the stage where... And what's what's the point, really? Yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah. I mean, you used to love your racing. I remember that, and uh, you know, race really frequently. And it'd be watching you train. There'd always be some grit in there somewhere, some kind of attacking, some some pain in there somewhere. But I mean, we thought about our training. We talked about it a lot, didn't we? Often we talked about how many hours or how many miles you do in a week, that sort of thing. Um, I think we were aware that. To be a good rider, you had to do different types of training. Um, what do you think to what's going on now then with all these power meters and the sort of really breaking training down to the nth degree and worrying about every tiny detail? What Do you think that would have been a, a good thing or a bad it thing? Suited. It probably would have suited me. I'm quite analytical. I mean, I used to keep a diary and I used to kind of daily weight kilometers and I used to use like an intensity level, how much intensity I yeah. put in every day. So I probably been, would have been someone who would have loved to have a power meter. It really would have suited me. Mm. Uh, I think I really would have liked that, actually, because sometimes I think we are trained probably like headless chickens, you know. I don't know. Mm. I, I de definitely feel as though the, 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 the more towards the end, especially I kind of overtrained rather than undertrained. Mm. I think I trained too much. And I think maybe a power meter would have prevented that. Because we used to train my heart rate monitors, didn't we, I think? Yeah, I, mean, I had one. I mean, I don't know if I paid. I've just had it for information. I mean, I think that's probably the best way anyway. I think, you know, I'm a great believer in RPE, you know, your rate of perceived exertion as being your, your main guide. I mean, if I just had a power meter there, I think that would just depress me in the end. But uh, I know people... People love it. And, uh, of course, the technology's moved on and you see now the races and the time trials around here going faster than we used to go. But I think with the same level of fitness, I don't think we'd be much slower than what they're knocking out now, do you? No, I don't think. I mean, I look at some of the bikes and that, it's all, it seems to be aero has really taken off, isn't it? Yeah. I think when we used, used to ride, it was all about how light bicycle was and what light components you could get whereas kind of it seems to be it how aero everything is now yeah uh, that's completely changed. and uh you know some of the bikes are absolutely amazing now mm. 
Yeah, because I mean, well, you started on a on a steel frame, didn't you? Your first racing bikes. I mean, I know you had a, didn't you have an Eddie Merck steel frame that found its way oh, to yeah. me? And also the bikes I used to get from Terry Ryan Cycles, they were both, I think they were both 853 Reynolds tubing. Yeah, they were both steel bikes. I think I did eventually get a, a, an aluminium one towards yeah. the end. Uh, but yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, they were, to be, you know, in, in, in the UK, a, a steel bike was okay because it needed to be responsive, really. Mm. It was great for, for those sprints and out of corners because it was... You know, it just you got you got a response from it straight away. I thought they were brilliant. Yeah, so for something like Eastway, they're probably ideal, weren't they? What do you think? Some of your strengths were in your skills, or what do you think your greatest attributes as a cyclist were? If you were joining a Colombian pro team now, how would you sell yourself to them? <laughs> probably just, I just kept on going and going. I had quite a lot of stamina. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't. I wasn't a great mountain climber, really, at all. I didn't have that much speed. But in many ways, when I was in Colombia, I I done well just because I had more speed than most Colombians. But actually, uh, I couldn't really cope in the mountains. But I was quite good. I used to in when I used to race here. The the longer the race, the better it was for me. I used to love longer races, and I used to find that I used to be able to go at the same speed after kind of 80 miles as, as I was after 10 miles, whereas most cyclists went the other way. So I definitely, uh, it, was all, it was all on stamina. Really. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I know obviously we'd had um, energy drink. Were we already taking gels then? I can't remember if we had gels already. Well, I think we used to have like, uh, we used to have like a starch-based drink with carbohydrate drink. But yeah. apart from that, uh, the old uh, we, I know I, Energy bars, I think, were starting to come in, but not gels. Yeah. I remember you had bars, but yeah, no, I mean, it's amazing how it changes it's so quickly, isn't it? Really? Yeah, yeah. God knows where we'll be in another 20 years' time. But uh, you've, you've, we've mentioned it already, you follow the pro scene as well, haven't you? You've loved, always followed pro cycling and, and watched all the races with uh, enthusiasm. What, how do you? think that's sort of going at the moment do you still find the same passion watching the cycling yeah i kind of didn't for a while but i've really kind of fallen in love with it again over the last like say five or six years i think i had a period a little bit fed up with the kind of epo era i suppose and kind of the end of that and and I've, i've always followed the colombian cyclists and they had a period where they just didn't do very well hmm uh and uh, so you know, and then obviously, in the last five years, they've done incredibly well. They've kind of there's there's I think it's over like twenty Colombians like riding for World Tour teams mm. now. Uh, well, I've really enjoyed the last few years, yeah, especially yeah. I think I probably watch it. Well, I mean, now it's much more accessible. Because they show so much more cycling than when we used to watch it because years ago they show the classics and the, the tours, but apart from that, they show all the races whereas now it's just fantastic it's show women's racing uh, you know all types of racing it's fantastic yeah and you had to have Eurosport to see those races didn't you exactly. yeah. Yeah. yeah no I really enjoy it yeah uh, I mean it, it kind of brings me back from when I um, when I done like some I done uh, for, for one season I done some national level racing in 
Colombia, and I, did you remember a team called Kelme? Yeah, yeah, of course, Kelme. Yeah, well, they, well, did they have? Did they have green kit? Sorry? Did they have green kit? They did. Yeah, green kit. I think they used to be a, a shoe manufacturer, Kelme Shoes. I think. Yeah, right. but they, they, they. When I was there, one Kelme, the whole Kelme team were there, nice. which was great. Actually, being in the same race as Kelme was was quite an experience. Mm. Amazing. Um, I remember that there was a time trial. It was on about, I'd done a five-day stage race. And uh, on about the third day, I'd done okay. It might be flat. I've lost a bit of time, like in the mountains. But uh, on most races in Colombia, you kind of get TV coverage. But especially you get radio. Every single race in Colombia, there's there's a radio uh, company, Caracol, they're called, and they turn up and they, they turn up an hour and a half before the race. They transmit live throughout the race and they're still there an hour mm. and they're fantastic. And because I was generally, especially in the 90s, the only international rider there, the only <laughs> foreigner there, they would interview me every day. <laughs> and, you know, I couldn't really care for what I said. And this particular year, when Kel and me were there, there was a time trial. And so they thought, well, maybe I was a little bit like Chris Boardman. So <laughs> they asked me if I if I was going to kind of give it, you know, go for it all, like try to get a good result. And I thought, well, if I say I do, and then I end up 10 minutes behind, because Santiago Botero was oh, racing yeah. for Kenny, and he was eventually world time trial champion. And so I thought, well, I fin- if I finish 10 minutes behind him and I've given everything, I'm going to look a bit stupid. I said, well, now I'm kind of working for the team. I'll just get round here. But I didn't. I, I absolutely hammered it. I still finished 10 minutes behind <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, time trialling. I don't think time trialling was your was your strength. I, I was used to it. <laughs> and um, so any other highlights you want to pick out from your racing career before we talk about, um, if you don't mind talking about it, about how what brought your racing to to an end? But uh, yeah, any, give us a few highlights if you can remember any special wins or moments. Well, probably the special win. There was a win. Uh, there used to be a local race. My, my wife is from a place called Tolima, and they had kind of uh, a, a, a pretty big race once. And there was four or five riders who had ridden like the Tour of Colombia and ridden in Europe. And it was the only time I actually beat them, but. But when I look back, there's a guy I beat who was like the main star in that region, a guy called Freddy Gonzalez. And he was a play from a place called Livano in mm-hmm. Tolima. And he won like the mountains jersey in the Giro d'Italia. Yeah. And it sounds good that I beat him, but then actually I look back and I was actually on 100% of my form. And then I found out subsequently he'd only been training for two weeks after <laughs> And I only just beat him, and a week later he absolutely hammered me. So it just just shows the difference. So when I went training with him, it was it was such an eye opener. But because we would be climbing a mountain all in a group, and you know I had my heart rate on one eighty, and his would be on one thirty, and he'd just be chatting away, yeah. and just a completely different engine. When you train with someone really good, it's horrible. <laughs> just yeah, it's humbling. Yeah, yeah. It's humbling, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, t- I, I used to try to get in. I mean, like when I raced at those levels, I used to try to get in like as many breakaways as I could. 
used to try to get in the breakaway because I I, I was riding for a, a kind of a little team in Bogota and they used to you know we didn't we only got our like our hotels and food and just expensive really for the race but they were they were really good to us so I used to kind of try to get in breakaway because I knew I had no chance of of doing well at the end of a race because often there'd be a 30 kilometer climb somewhere so I was never going to survive up a 30 kilometer climb but I always remember that that I'd done a race in the north of Bogota and I was in the breakaway for about an hour and a half on the flat about four or five of us you know and, and I was going for all the sprints to get points for the sprints and then we we had about a 30 second lead on the bunch at that stage and and I saw I was in the lead I was in a great position and uh, and it was about an eight kilometer climb and we started climbing this this mountain and I kind of hung on for a bit hung on for about a kilometer got dropped I looked behind me and it was like a motorway behind me it was like a four carriage road oh, yeah. and it was from side to side the bunch you could just see sight because it was like a sea of cyclists behind me and they were you know really really good and I thought well I'll just gradually drop back and let them just like I'll give myself a bit of sliding room and I can slide up they passed me all the cars passed me mm-hmm. so I went from first I went from first to last in the space of eight kilometers <laughs> Never mind. There's still some glory to be had. You had lots of glory, yeah, mate. Yeah. What, what about back in Cambridge or the Cambridge area? Were there any particular favourite races you used to do or any rivalries, any characters you remember that you want to bring to light? Well, I remember that the guy who always used to beat me, he's a guy from, used to ride for an Essie club, Gary Baker, who was an ex-pro. Oh, yeah. You know, some years where, like my best years, I might—I think '94, which was probably my best ever year—I had no wins, hmm. no wins whatsoever. But I had like second places and third places, loads. But and he must have had like twenty wins. He'd just win every week. There was just, just there was just that difference in level. You know, he was. With with when you're doing amateur racing, especially if it's a ninety-mile road race. Like the best, what what will generally happen? Now there'll be like lots of uh, attacks right at the start, attacks and attacks and gas, and like there'll be riders in the breakaways. And once once you get three or four good riders in a breakaway, it'll be gone. Virtually nine out of ten races I entered as an amateur were just always amateur races were always finished with a breakaway. But then mm. he was just so much quicker than anybody else. And just head and shoulders better than anybody else. So mm. I mean, I beat him a few times, but I think the one time I did beat him really, really well was a boiling hot day in Norfolk, and I used <laughs> to really enjoy the hot weather. That, that was the, I think it was the only way I could get close to him. And that particular day, it was like thirty-six degrees, and that used to really suit me. Boiling hot days. Mm. Have to wait for hot days. Up. <laughs> yeah, you don't get many of them, do we? <laughs> you don't exactly. No. <laughs> So wait, tell us then what, what happened when you were still cycling happily away, weren't you? And then you had a bit of a turn on your bike one day, didn't you? Well, yeah. No, I, I um, well, I, I had a, I, I kind of still, I ran after cycling. I'd still cycled, do a bit of cycling, done quite a bit of running. And, uh, well, it started off, we were living in Spain. And I was actually running, and, and, and I, I just thought I had an allergy. I just couldn't seem to breathe or 
very well, but it ended up I had a heart problem. Uh, mm. And eventually, while cycling, I had a heart attack as well. I had a heart attack coming back through Fallbourne to Cherry Hinton, behind yeah. Tesco's there. Uh, and that, that was very, very strange because I'd just been out for a ride with um, Julian. I don't know if you remember Julian Newton. Of course, yeah. And a few others. And I don't know what happened. I just, just I knew something was wrong because there was a, a lady just on a shopping bike just ahead of me. <laughs> I was thinking, oh, God, I just can't seem to pass her. She was going quick. And uh, I just thought, I've just got to stop. So I stopped got off the bike, and a lady, I must have looked very pale, must have looked mm. grey, and she says, yeah, okay, shall I call an ambulance? And I said, no, I think I've just got hunger knock. I think I'm just hungry. That's what I thought. Mm. And so she had some chocolate buttons. <laughs> so she gave me a bag of chocolate buttons. Yeah. So I ate the chocolate buttons, <laughs> managed to get to the Tesco's car park, but I couldn't really ride. I was just, just walking. I felt yeah. dreadful. My wife picked me up. And I only live uh, on Cherry Hinton Road, but I couldn't get home. And just felt awful. But I thought it was just, I hadn't eaten. I just thought I felt really just bad. And I had a shower, I got home, got went to bed. I just felt really, really uncomfortable. And eventually my wife got really fed up. So I'm taking you to A&E, that's mm. it. Mm. I probably wouldn't have been. I probably would have had a subsequent... You know, I, I would have had another heart attack, but we eventually went to A&E and obviously then they they done the test and I'd had a heart attack, yeah. 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 Uh, and since then, obviously, well, they put some stents in, didn't they? And Yeah, yeah. I've had stents and obviously I'm on medication, but I feel great. I really do. I mean, like when I go cycling, I feel all right. I feel, I feel, I, I feel as though I could race still. Yeah. I feel really good. It's quite odd. No, I don't really feel bad. You know, and I go up a hill and I feel all right. So, but, uh, I, know, I, probably don't, I don't go into the red zone as much as I would. I probably don't uh, overdo it. Once I reach that stage where, I, you know, I don't train with a heart rate monitor, but once I hit about, like, I know I'm up about 170, I'll kind of ease off. Hmm. But I still feel okay, yeah, so I don't know. Has has the advice been? Have you been advised not to go above a certain level? I've been advised to not do intensive training. Yeah. 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 But, but you, most most of cycling is a if any of those really kind of out of bodily experiences when you really kind of hurting yourself over a top of a hill or something. You know, when you that feeling when you're going a bit dizzy. I mean, I, I try not to do that. Uh, but yeah, I try to look after myself. After myself, but now I feel really, really good. Although you know, I, I obviously one hears of you know people dying, you know, in half marathons or marathons. I just, hmm. I, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I'm very, I feel very, very privileged and lucky to be honest to being able to see my children grow up to to really to have enjoyed these years because it could have been so different. So many people yeah. in those circumstances. Yeah, but when the cardiologist saw me, he he actually told me that he thought me being fit and having been a cyclist for so many years had really protected me. That's good, he isn't it? I'd had a narrowing in the left left ascending artery for many many years, but he said that my body had compensated whilst I was doing all this training. And I had a whole network of arterial like of arteries which had compensated and still had blood flowing. So even when I had the heart attack, that, that to have all those in place had really 
saved me. Well, they, they were his words. So, yeah, so yeah. being fit, you know, really helped me. Fantastic, yeah. So, so. I, probably, I probably wouldn't be here. That's what he basically said to me. I wouldn't have been here if I, if I wouldn't have been so fit. Yeah. And just, you were telling me just since um, lockdown, you've started doing a bit more again, haven't you? So you're actually riding yeah. quite regularly now. Yeah, I've been probably since, um, well, I didn't even have a bike. I gave my bike to my son who wrecked it a couple of years ago. So I haven't got any racing bikes. I didn't have any bikes. So I bought just a hybrid bike, uh, secondhand after lockdown started in March last year. It was about a year ago. Yeah. I thought, mm. actually, I've got to do something. And I started cycling and have been on average three or four times a week for the last year. And I've loved it. You know, I've really enjoyed it. Been off road a lot, but it's kind of, you know, and been to a lot of the old places we used to go to. Yeah. Been by like Ring a few times and all those little old lanes and Elmden and you know, Chisel and Dudno End and all those lovely places. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I really, I really, 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 really enjoyed my I mean, really enjoyed my cycling again. And I, I think I'll carry on. I think I'll carry on going out now, at least weekends as well. Good stuff, because I was getting a bit worried about you. There was far too much golf going on. I still play golf, though, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, they, well, you only just said the golf is about the right level, but <laughs> I do miss I do miss the, the that pushing myself. That's mm. what I really miss, because that's when, when we used to train. I used to, I mean, I used to train, but I used to love the race. Mm. When I used to ride a bike, why, why I kind of enjoyed the training and, and coped with the training because I was always so focused on the next race. Yeah. And I absolutely used to love the racing. I was obsessed with it. So I didn't mind doing this, you know, the training because I knew you had to. You just had to train to actually be able to be competitive in road racing. Yeah. I think I think we we were the same there. I mean, I was doing, you know, the odd road race, mostly duathlons and triathlons, but like you, it was all about the next race, you know, and you'd have a good race and you'd be on a buzz from that for a few days, but by the Wednesday, all you're thinking about is the next one and what you can do to be better at that, isn't it? Yeah, addictive, totally addictive. Yeah. But it's fantastic. I mean, it's, it's, it's been nice. You know, I, th- I kind of look at myself like in the 50s now and I think, well, well, when did I feel totally alive? And my God, it was often, you know, just before the start of a race or looking forward to a race. And I remember times like, you know, in the middle of Bogota thinking about some of the races I was doing. It was absolutely amazing, you know, and mm. it's brilliant to have those feelings. Absolutely brilliant. And, you know, uh, I mean, I miss, I miss that really. I mean, it was a fantastic buzz. It was just a really lovely buzz. Yeah. So if we were giving some advice now to the, these youngsters who are spending 10 grand on a bike and they've got all the aero gear and all the rest of it, what what couple of bits of advice would you give them? Well, that's a difficult one. <laughs> would you, tell, would you yeah. tell them to race, race, race or would you tell them to take more of a long-term view? What, how would you... Well, it just seems to be that at the moment it just seems to be that, that like young kids are just, if they're good enough, they're letting them race, aren't they? Mm. You know? I mean, all the... And Bernal, Ivan Paul, they're all they're all in, you know, 
19, you know, 20, 21, 22. Mm. They're, so, they're so much younger than they used to be. If you're good enough, just go for it. Mm. Uh, I think you've got to, well, I don't know. What would I say? I think that you've got to train well. I mean, obviously, having a coach mm. is really important. You've got to train at the, you know, you certainly got to train at the right levels. And, uh, but within any season or two seasons, you do need to take that. I mean, it takes time. You do need to take a long-term approach, mm. I think, and kind of work on your weaknesses. I mean, especially yeah. for road rate, you're going to, you know, everybody likes to work on their strengths, but mm. you've got to work on your weaknesses. Yeah, we used to say train to, train your weaknesses and race to your strengths. Yeah. yeah. Because, you know, if you're in a road race, I mean, if, if you're not very good at, climbing the hills you're not going to do anything at the end of the day or if if you i mean my my weakness i look it was always sprinting i'd I'd get in a breakaway and um i'd be there at the end and invariably i'd lose the sprint but my best years were funny enough when we used to do loads of sprinting for signs on wednesday rides Hmm. i think it was before kind of use were there then it was around maybe 93 or 94 but mm. we had a, we had a couple of years where we used to sprint for loads of signs but it was fantastic training because we were doing you know i don't know a dozen or so 20 so sprints every wednesday ride during like an 80 mile ride and it was fantastic for for actually having need for road racing because that's what you need even if you're not sprinting you've got to sprint to get in a breakaway you've got to sprint to get on someone's wheel and mm. if, you, if you're good at it then it doesn't take anything out of you that's the thing i noticed that when i was really kind of going well i could attack 20 30 times in a race whereas towards the end like the late 90s if i attacked it took me another lap to kind of recover, yeah. <laughs> recover from it and it was then pure luck if I was going to get in a breakaway, because if you can only attack, you know, three or four times in a race, you've got to be really lucky to get in that right move. Whereas if you can attack every time there's a move, then you're going to be in it. Yeah, no, that's right. Yeah, that, that... Road, racing, road racing, I think, is all about speed. I think you need speed. Yeah. You can get better at stamina. You can get better at climbing, but you do need speed. You really do. I think it's massively important. So I'd probably say train. Yeah, yeah, no, you're probably right. That's me. That's me done for then. Yeah. <laughs> so um, would that be perhaps one of your? Fa- I always ask um, whether they're runners or cyclists or rowers. What your favourite session is? I mean, it's obvious your favourite session would be the race itself. But uh, in, in terms of a training session, what would be your favourite? that's my other question that I ask everybody the favourite food I wonder if there's a, a go-to food for Colombians for, for energy for their cycling what, what's their go-to dish is there one well often they often if they go in for a long ride or especially if I kind of, when I go there now I've been out a few times 
and I'd stop for breakfast, but a proper Colombian breakfast, which is like a Colombian soup. They call it caldo, which is like caldo de papa. It's like it's potato soup with a little bit of meat in Right. with made bread on the side and scrambled egg mm. and then hot chocolate or coffee. But, I mean, it's a really big breakfast, but it's delicious. Yeah, I mean, that is, that is delicious. Mm. That sounds good. So that's a favourite cycling food, definitely. Mm. Right, Vince. Well, we've been chatting for quite a while now, so uh, I think we'll bring it towards a close there. Is there anything I've missed out or we've missed out that we, we should make people aware of? I mean... We obviously, we're grumpy old men now and uh, we know our day was the best day, obviously, and we knew how to have fun on a bike and these youngsters, they don't know what they're doing really, do they? No, I've really enjoyed it, Ben. It's nice to talk about old times, you know. We had, no, I've really enjoyed those years cycling, especially like, you know, in the late 90s and, uh, yeah, great, great memories, really. Really, it was nice to really think about it because I, I haven't thought about those years for a long long time it's been really really nice thank you very much no that's a pleasure and also I noticed there when we were talking just before we started recording you had some old results there and of course now everything's on the internet and electronic but we had our result sheets you had the race program there from that race you won we had we we keep I mean I used to keep my numbers as well do you have much memorabilia about still or is it all just shoved away somewhere in a corner I I never kept numbers I have few programs of the races I won uh, and I've kept a few of the results from Colombia but I actually haven't kept that much no 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 should have shouldn't I should have kept a lot more well, as long as it's as long as it's clear in your mind that's the important thing because yeah I mean it's nice to I mean I haven't really had the opportunity to do it either but to talk about you know your races with your with your children it's you know it's nice to have something to show isn't it It was really the, the sport, anyway. All right, Vince, that's brilliant. Thank you ever so much. We'll, we'll stop it there. Well, I hope you enjoyed my chat with Vince Freeman. I certainly did. It's great catching up with an old friend and hearing some wise words about cycling and sport in general. If you like the show, please subscribe, spread the word. Let's get as many listeners as we can and make sure you tune in to the next episode. Until then, keep enduring. Tell me if me right, no, no, tell me if me wrong. Fuck Molly, he must 
was a true raster man. Garnet Silky was a true raster man. The pouring pea monkey daddy, a true raster man. All John the Baptist was a true raster man. Him see him once the Almighty Jack in a vision. The big preach of the coming of him son from the land. The chimney shape, make him hear prolong. Every apostle of Christ known as a raster man. I am glad. No, I am blessed to be one hand. No bad at all, but all the raster man. From you know your tradition, you hear a big Nobody talk about Rasta in a heart Heart up from blood up from your mind you get your talk Hurt is the Lord and the fullness thereof Never listen, that's why they caught in a trap Blasting against the king, they did not stop So far away the king turned him back See, they now like a butter, they melt and chop Oh, you finish the man, they make the moon star and the sun Man sat him rock and burn Babylon down You run to the rock and all the rocks start to run See where he done Can't escape your judgment when him come Nobody talk about all of the Rasta man Come from you know your tradition You hear a big old arm Nobody talk about Rasta in a heart Heart a bum blood from your mind You get your thought First step of Rasta is the Nazarene